The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And it's time now for a veteran's place. And we have the numero uno veteran, Dr. Don Muller, on the air with us. And he's a veteran. He was a medic in Vietnam. And uh, now he's a oral surgeon as well as an MD. He's got quite a list of initials. If you ever write him a letter, you better... Dedicate about 15 minutes just to uh, putting all of his acronyms behind his name. But we have him on, and we're going to be talking about PTSD like we do every week. So with that, we're going to start with a little bit of intro music and uh, go to Don. Okay, Don, I'll be coming to you in about ten seconds. Cold and wet, reminding us, showing us it's easy to get left along the way. And you're listening to America's Web Radio and a place for veterans. And we have Dr. DDS and MD Don Moeller on the phone with us. And Don's really the host of the show. And he's got a very interesting show lined up. And uh, we're going to be talking about the effects of PTSD. And uh, so with that being said, good morning, Don. Good morning, uh, Dave. Once again, it's fun to be here, great to be here, and good to talk to our veterans and first responders. Uh, a little outline of the program today, we're going to talk about the social aspects of PTSD, and these are really, really important. It's kind of a touchy-feely subject in, in, a, in a world where we love high-tech and pharmacological therapies, but there's a lot of lot of robust information about the importance of the social aspects of PTSD. And we're going to talk about moral injury. <clears throat> and this is kind of the dark horse in the race in that it's come from behind and kind of an also mentioned to a, a prominent place for a certain, uh, and I might say high percentage, of first responders and, and veterans, and it, and, it's, and it intermingles with the symptoms of PTSD, but that has a different origin. Next thing we're going to talk about is the complex interactions and social aspects of interhuman relationships, that being your friends and your family, and how critical, and, and other veterans, I might want to add, and how critical that that is, that you, you can't, and I'll call it a battle. You can't fight this battle alone. You don't take a pill and it, and it goes away. No matter how uh, insignificant that you think your PTSD is, you, you still 
have to have to consider that it's a team effort. So, you I know, want to take uh, one minute for no. the for the people who didn't hear our other broadcasts. I I always start off with the idea of a worldview. Now, everybody in every culture on this planet has a worldview, regardless of whether or not they admit it or realize it. But you do have a worldview, and I and I made the analogy of. People without PTSD, they tend to have the uh, a frame made out of wood or metal on that picture and a picture painted on a canvas or wood that doesn't change. But the critical factor for folks with PTSD is to realize that we have a worldview and a frame, and the frame is highly mobile. The frame is made out of, consider, rubber or plastic. And the picture, our, our worldview, the way we see the world, is actually our picture is on a rubber, a rubber piece of material. And that by distorting the frame, either due to anger, emotion, social aspects, the picture actually can change. And every day we get up, we need to realize that we don't see the world the same way. But we can modify that frame to assume a normal shape. Uh, and help us get through the day. So we're going to talk about the factors that can distort that frame and that picture and how to get through uh, our day. Now, we're going to move into social support. Now, Don, there's very good I, I, literature. Don, I Go want to interrupt you for a minute as, uh, sure. and, and ask you a question as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, we... We dedicate this show to our military and those that have served and have been in conflict and come back with PTSD. And, you know, it was for anybody that's headed to the front line or any battle, uh, you have that day or two or whatever of notice and, well, I'm going to the, to the theater and, uh, and they they start their thinking and reaction and so forth and so on. Well, we've got the same exact situation as we speak, and it's called Nicole that's headed for the east coast of Florida. And all of those first responders, they don't know how serious it's going to be. I don't know how serious it's going to be. But if it turns into the hurricane that they think it might be, then you'll have a lot of first responders, first responders and their families going through, uh, pre-PTSD period. And, uh, you know, the, as we've talked before, Don, you know, the, uh, you hug your husband or your wife or whoever that's the first responder and, all you can do is hope and pray that you see them at the end of the day or the end of their their uh, tour for that particular incident. And uh, Nicole, from my understanding, is supposed to be a, a pretty uh, wide and encompassing hurricane. And uh, so, you know, we generally, at the start of a show, we'll say a, a Take a moment to say a prayer for him, but we we need to think about our first responders as we do our military, and uh, what they're what 
all of the first responders, everything, and everybody always thinks, I, I think, when you say first responders of police and fire, but you've got so many others that are going to be called up. Uh, it may be the National Guard in Florida. It may be uh, the EMTs. But they're going through a mental process right now that I would think can activate one's PTSD. Am I totally crazy? No. As a matter of fact, I couldn't have thought of a better transitional introduction. You know, it really shocks people, to understand, especially the first responders and soldiers. You get on the plane and you deploy. Well, your family deploys with you, and they're home, especially let's take police officers. Their family and your kids don't know if their dad's coming back. And that family is living under stress, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. When you, when the worldview, when you look at your family, and let's say you're going to go to work as an accountant, and your family says, hey, dad's at work, and we're going to have a good time. But when your dad's going to work as a police officer, EMT, a nurse in an ICU with COVID, or you're going to a war zone, your family immediately experiences stress. And I could not have put that better, Dave, that when you need the PTSD frame, the picture, your picture of your family in the rubber frame can be distorted. Your family, you think, well, they're always there. They're in that wooden frame with that on that canvas. That's my family. So if you're a, if you're a veteran, when you leave home, that, that worldview, their frame starts to distort and your family is under stress. Not just you in the war zone, but your family. And so when you come back, both you and your family has changed. And, and we have this, kind of idea that when we as a veteran come, I've come back from a couple wars that our family's the same and they're not their family's gotten along without their dad and they wonder like if your uh, little four or five year old has an idea of, of war he doesn't he or she doesn't know that their dad's coming back and that's stressful for those kids so when you look at your family as a veteran or EMT you have to understand they're not the same family that's uh, not under stress because, you know, because their mom or dad working is is in a, a not such a dangerous occupation. So, let me just give a few things here sure. to kind of discuss that the importance of a normal home and a normal relation. Well, the veteran when he comes home. There are certain issues that he has to deal with, and we'll just pick one of them, and that's anger. You're also, your, your decisions and your relationships are influenced by anger. And because we came, and EMTs as well, come from a quick reaction, serious situation, environment, where you make a decision quickly and then act on it, well, when you come home, you may bring some of that baggage with you, and you don't need to be making these quick, quick kind of decisions. Is that kind of helpful, Dave? Oh yeah. And as you were talking about that, I was thinking about your being a medic in Vietnam, and the fact that 
you come up on a wounded, you've got some very fast decisions to make. And, uh, you know, I think we've got the greatest military in the world and the greatest, I know everybody goes through Sam Houston that uh, becomes a medic or whatever, but you're... You know, you're, you're borderline doctor and you're not really a doctor, but you know, you're in the field and you have to be the doctor at that point. You have to make the decisions. You have to decide what to do with that arm or leg or whatever the case might be. And knowing or not knowing, you'll live with that decision the rest of your life. And this is the same way. And we, we undermine, I think, our EMTs that, at time or our firemen and police, you know, for the EMT, they go out on a call. They don't know what they're getting into. And, you know, my training was our first thing was to get the patient back to the hospital, get him to someone that knows what they're doing for sure, you know. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was our, you know, what's it going to take to get this patient to the hospital? And, uh, and the other thing, Dave, is uh, the soldiers on guard duty, you know, and and the guys on the front line being waiting to be ambushed. Yeah, it's the same thing. Your combat PTSD is completely different than what we'll call it single event PTSD, and it, complex PTSD is similar, very similar to chronic PTSD, people who've been abused since they were children throughout their life, either uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, they have a PTSD which is much more uh, difficult to treat, as is combat PTSD. And and that's why I talk about the worldview. You, you have to fix the frame before you can fix the picture. And And what you're saying about daily getting up to our population of those with PTSD, you have learned, and like you said, to be a quick reaction for life and death. These are high-stress situations. Police, shoot, don't shoot. Arrest, don't rest. Arrest somebody. Try and avoid, you know, physical confrontation. But the point being is your body, now this is critical to understand, the physiology of your body has changed. The psychological and social behavioral reactions have changed as well. This is not a head game. And, and do you, is that pretty valuable to know, Dave? Sure. And, and this is something that, uh, you know, like we talked last week and, and we've talked a little bit before is that, you know, the recognition of PTSD and then what you have to know about it. And what you have to realize and ultimately accept. And, uh, and it's not only that person with PTSD, but it's everyone that he or she comes in contact with, be it the uh, ICU nurse or the uh, ER nurse or whatever the case might be. It's, it's a very functional Disease that touches so many yes. people. It's a, it's a learned, quick decision. And here's what it results in. The psychological term is called emotional dysregulation. Emotional dysregulation. Well, what is that? Well, let's break that down. 
It's called expressive flexibility. So, now, here's what happens. If you're not under stress and you have plenty of time to think about your response or your system's not upregulated, like the nervous system is in PTSD patients, it's kind of like just talking to a friend at the lake while you're fishing. But after PTSD, your brain in critical situations starts to react in a programmed manner to stay alive. Well, here's the problem, the crux of the situation. When you are confronted in your daily life with things that you start to perceive are going to go south, we'll call it, you go in with an inflexible uh, program, or we'll call it in a medic situation, treatment plan. So when you're when you're talking to some guy on the street who's getting a little too close or a little too pushy to survive the PTSD, EMT, whoever's got it, policeman, you go into your protective uh, learned, we'll call it an algorithm, a psychological algorithm for self-protection and control of the situation. Whereas our, the people we relate, with whom we relate during the day don't do that. And so I found in my life that when you're dealing with somebody, just knowing that now that we have a tendency to resort to in uh, flexibility in the way we respond to people, and most of my friends and my patients, we we try and be really uh, nice people, but then they get on our last nerve, and guess what takes over our inflexibility programmed response <laughs> and then it's downhill from there and that's why you see a lot of our friends with PTSD and veterans with PTSD they may cook off well to the civilian world it's never been stressed then they call the police and now now we we have a problem the, would you say this is a portion of or it is the uh, fight-or-flight syndrome. Well, you know what? Let's just call it that. It's the same. You know what, Dave? That's very insightful because uh, we all get fight-or-flight. You're out, you know, you're riding on a bus, having a nice day, and so <laughs> someone on the bus starts screaming or pulls a knife. There's fight-or-flight, and you're going to have to fight because the bus is going 40 miles an hour. So... You hit the nail on the head. It's the same type of response. In PTSD, we have learned responses. We get to a, let's say you're having an argument with your wife or your, your daughter. Well, there's a point at which you're, you have to understand you're just tired of arguing. You're tired of having more stress put on the, put on, on your back. And so you, you're tired of that feeling in your body. So you go to the, you go to your go-to point, which is inflexible response. Whereas one of your friends who's an accountant, and my dad was an accountant, so I'm not picking on accountants, can just sit there and talk, talk, talk and, and, and smoke and joke for a long time. But a guy with PTSD or lady, you, you really want to bring that confrontation to an end. So then you go to a, a reduced form of fight or flight. Uh, you know, and this is something that, in my opinion, 
is so important about this show, and it's not this show, the person with PTSD, be it veteran or EMT or whatever, it's the family that needs to understand this. It's the family that needs to offer that secure place to talk. And, you know, and make it understood to the person with PTSD that, that, uh, hey, I'll help you get through with this. I'm your partner. I'll help you get through with this. And, uh, how many lives and marriages could be saved if the partners would work together and both of them understand what PTSD is? You know what? That's my next point. I'm going to just let you take the show now, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's called psychological inflexibility, but guess what? Research shows it's very modifiable. That frame that you're living in, the rubber frame with a rubber picture, is highly modifiable through practice and training. And those psychological reactions that are inappropriate can be targeted for improvement. And so... This is an incredibly good thing to know that this behavior, this inflexibility, it, it can be worked out. And, for example, you're, you're having a discussion with your wife. Well, what you do in this kind of training is you take a neutral topic and you, and you work through with your loved one and your kids. Like, look, I'm trying to tell you what, that let's, let's talk about leaving your bikes out at night instead of putting them in. Well, everybody understands you need to do that. Well, rehearse that. Go through a scenario with your family. And then if your dad says, look, it's got to be done, and you want to discuss it, that's fine. But when when the dad's getting agitated, like this is plain common sense, you need to understand your dad's got less resilience in that area than the dad next door, possibly. And I'm just using this as an example. And so... The quick response inflexibility can be modified. And, and, and when your family realizes that this can happen, then they go, oh, dad's okay or mom's okay. We'll just back off on that issue. And that's, it's kind of a thing. Uh, we can call it an over-controlled environment. Why, why do PTSD folks want to have a controlled environment? Because the more uncontrolled the environment is, the more stress it creates. And what do people with PTSD want to do? Leave stressful environments. That's why, you know, when folks with PTSD go into a restaurant, well, my wife knows I'm going to look at that door. I'm not going to have my back to the door. That's just, and that's an example of, of, of just modifying simple things mm-hmm. rather than making an issue in the, in the, in the restaurant like, you always have to sit facing the door. Well, your family knows dad just doesn't, or mom just won't sit in that seat or that booth that they cannot see the door. And that's just an example. If you go through your life and say, kids, you know, like a lot of noise. We don't like a lot of noise. Hey, kids, can you just kind of hold it down? Do you see what I mean, Dave? Oh, I know it well. And uh, that goes for other environments besides restaurants. It can be your church. It can be a movie theater it can be any number of things that uh and it's funny it's uh as you know we moved into new offices and um 
I put my desk where I'm looking at the door. I don't ever put my back to the door. <laughs> right, right. You know? um, and I, I think this is, you know, and I, I was thinking as you were talking there, Don, that, you know, in a family situation, and that's why, this is why I have such a feeling on this that, the family members need to understand what they're working with, with a mother or father or whatever the case, or a brother or sister that's come back from from the uh, deployment. They need to understand it, and they need to come up with a damn good way to explain it to other family members and... Uh, uh oh, I said something wrong, huh? Well, no. Uh, no. Wait, let me finish this. Uh, is that they they need to understand how to explain it to other family members, not make an excuse. Well, he's like that right. because he came back from from uh, in uh, Iraq. Well, he's yeah. like that, or she's like that because she was a trauma nurse in Iraq, or whatever. Don't yeah. Don't make an excuse explain well you know because they have seen things that you and i will never imagine and smelled them and whatever and you know this this affects people and you've got to understand that uh you know it it takes a while to readjust and you know this is one of the things that i'm i'm proud of our government uh Seldom am I that, but I am proud of our government realizing that uh, when somebody has come back from a deployment, that they need an adjusting time. And, uh, you know, this is just, you know, it used not to be that. Well, you were a civilian before you went in, you're a civilian now. And, right. you know, it... And yet, another thing that... There's a list. I'm going to read about five or six of them. Increased levels of PTSD are associated with relationship distress, poor family function, intimate partner partner violence, physical aggression, and family functioning. And you hit the nail on the head. If your dad came back blind after the war, your mom, they wouldn't expect you to be driving the car in the same way. You wouldn't be driving the car. But because PTSD is an emotional injury, the, the hardest thing for veterans to understand that is that it's a very real injury. It is not fake. It is not, you know, oh, just a get-over disease. Yet, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to make a comment now, and I, I don't think things should change, but everybody understands that you get a Purple Heart if you, you get shot in enemy action. Take fragments, a bullet, whatever. But you know what? No one is ever going to get a, a Purple Heart for PTSD. And, and I have to say this, that when we see between 17, and some people say as high as 30 or 40, veterans a day take their lives, well, then they got a mortal wound. That was from their PTSD. And so now... They really, you have to step back. If a guy is so through with life, or a gal, so through with life that they're willing to end their own life, well, 
that's like dying of a combat wound that you just hung on for years after you got the wound and finally succumbed to that wound. And so the final, the, the final common pathway for a Purple Heart for being killed in action is very similar to having PTSD and tossing it in on life and killing yourself. And I, this is not a political statement, it's just a fact. You know, the, the final common pathway is being buried, okay? And so that's part of the thing, because you and I both were in, I was enlisted for three years. You know, you saw guys walking with Purple Hearts, and they were the heroes. But there were plenty of heroes that were suffering from PTSD, but they're not wearing a Purple Heart. And I'm not suggesting that PTSD people should get a Purple Heart, and that's not my point. My point is that the wound can result in a moral, an immortal result, i.e. you're going to kill yourself as a result of this disease. What do you think of that, Dave? I, I, I think we agree on a lot of things, actually, but I, I totally agree with what you're saying on that, and I would like to add one caveat to it, and that is that you know, yeah, you can, there are a lot of ways to kill yourself. There, you can shoot yourself, you can do this and, and, you know, and then come back around and, and say, well, you know, he was really suffering from PTSD or she was or whatever. But there's also the, the, there's another portion in my opinion. And again, I'm not a doctor. So if I'm totally wrong, just shut your mic off. Uh, now, is it, it can cause you to give up. And when I say give up, maybe you've gotten, you were exposed to Agent Orange, or maybe you're exposed to the burn pits, or maybe you were just exposed to some, some critical things, and now you've got cancer, or you've got uh, pneumonia, or you've got, you've, you're sick. And instead of fighting, you just you say I'm tired and uh, that's it and that's that's the same in my opinion the same as putting a gun to your head. Yeah, in reality, it is. And and now you know what we, we've kind of come back to the, the support systems, and and they have found research. The scientists, psychologists, uh, have found that the support group in the family may be the final barrier between someone giving up and not giving up, or your fellow veterans uh, helping you and talking with them. And, and I want to comment on this. There's negative emotional, we'll call them vibes, and positive emotional vibes. And if you are hanging out with your friends, your veteran friends, and they, they have, and they're classified as, as basic positive emotional factors and negative emotional factors positive emotional factors are like you, you want to get up get it today enthusiasm active engagement and then you know with your friends negative well they're predisposition like anger resentment anxiety negative relationships toxic relationships and so what you're looking at is if you're going to hang out with the veterans now, this is a tip number one. I love hanging with my veteran friends because they understand. 
that is a is an incredibly good source of support for you because they do understand. But if you have veterans that they always have negative emotions characterized again by a predisposition to be angry at everything, resentment, they're always anxious, they're, they're negative thoughts. Hanging around those people, they are not a good support group. You need to hang with veterans who are on the mend, who either walk the walk, talk the talk, and gotten better. But if you continue to hang around with people who uh, mm, just aren't in that way, you need to leave. And, that, and the next thing they know from research, here's what happens when veterans try and talk to many, and, they, and we already know this, when you start talking to non-veterans about what went on, they see that as the civilian world, we'll call it, sees that as negative vibes. And this is true with police and, you know, EMTs, firemen. They, you start telling your friends about what you have to do and what's going on. They, they react in a negative way to you. And they, it's subtle, but, but you pick it up. And so what happens then? You retreat even further. So that's tip number two. If, if you want to talk to somebody, you have to talk to non-judgmental people. And, and if you're going to a psychologist who grew up and practiced in Disney World and is aghast at what you had to do in the war, you need to find another psychologist. Because that's, you don't judge your patients. So those are three things that you need to do. Hang around veterans that have a positive attitude. Avoid veterans with a negative attitude and make it a point to identify those people early on and not continue that relationship. Couldn't agree with you more. And as you and I have talked over the past few months and year, and, you know, it's, uh, you got to be able to say, uh, you know, been there, done that. And, you know, I... I have my problems uh, related, and we've talked about this, but, you know, I I never went in country, so I can't really share what you shared and what you did as a medic in Vietnam. I can relate to before you became a medic. I can relate to you going to uh, basic and AIT or whatever, you know, and to a degree relate to your experience at Sam Houston, but... I I never carried a bag with a red cross on it and and heard people screaming for me doc doc and know that they're that may be their last breath and you're trying to get to them as quickly as you can and there's there's so much to this argument and it or I say argument it's not really an argument to this fact of our heads and how how do our heads take different situations and uh, you know I, I can imagine a cop's wife well honey did you have a rough day well it wasn't too bad I only shot four people and, and killed three of them <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. Uh, yeah it's pretty routine yeah yeah it wasn't so bad uh, 
I only got shot at four or five times, but all the bullets thankfully missed me. But I mean, it just, and that sounds like a crazy scenario, but unfortunately, in today's climate, that could be the truth, you know? Uh, yeah, that's, 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 it's very important to understand. Uh, and, you know, like our nurses during COVID, you know, I, I worked in hospitals. I was a respiratory therapist after I got back from Vietnam. Sure, we see death, you know, now and then. But when you see an ICU full of people, 80% aren't going to be there in a week, and they're, 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 they're going to die. Nurses, that's not typical. And that puts nurses under incredible stress, and doctors, even the, even the janitors having to go in and clean up. So it's, it's the worldview and your perception. And, and I think that would be a good time to bring up the aspects of moral injury. And this is a spiritual category, but I want to start it off with saying this information, the most recent, is found in the front, the journal Frontiers of Psychiatry 2022. That's a medical journal. So this is to let you know that the moral injury is very important. And there's, and I'll get into that in, in a very few minutes, but it, it, it's associated with high-stakes situations, and, and I'm reading this from that article, in which deeply held moral beliefs and expectations are transgressed. Now, there's two types of the moral injury, actually maybe three, but one is something that you did to someone else, taking a life as a police officer or taking a life as a soldier. That's that's a moral injury of commission. The second type of injury, which is just as devastating, is a person or you could not prevent harm to another person. For some reason, you you think that you didn't have the courage to stand up to protect that person that you could have, or that if, had you been more careful or known something, well, that's called a moral injury of omission. Now, the third kind it's more of a label. Is a, the it's called a betrayal trauma, where someone you thought was was your wingman actually was kind of shooting your landing gear out. So let me just read a small list because you may identify with some of this stuff. Moral injury may lead to persistent changes in biological, psychological spiritual, behavioral, and social suffering. I'm going to repeat that. This is out of the uh, Frontiers of Psychiatry, a medical journal. Moral injury may lead to persistent, emotional, uh, and enduring biological, psychological, spiritual, behavioral, and social suffering. And the last little mini list I'm going to read, moral injury centers around one Moral emotions. Number two, cognitions. That's like your guilt feeling. Feelings of shame. Feelings of anger. Feelings of self-blame. Feelings of distrust. Feelings of sorrow. And feelings of grief. And feelings of betrayal. Now those are right out of the medical journal, guys and gals. 
this isn't something that Don and Dave here on the show are making up. And so, and, and then, and I'm going to comment in a general way, and we can then discuss it, Dave. Moral injury overlaps many things of PTSD or many aspects. Moral injury of guilt, shame, anger, and socialization impairments. Well, PTSD overlaps with some of those. PTSD can give you a startle response, memory loss, flashback, nightmares, and insomnia. Well, if you overlay those uh, lists, you're going to see some of them occur on both sides. So if our listeners, veterans, and first responders are saying, whoa, that's me, if that's all you get out of our little one-hour session here, that's, that's plenty. Just to know that, hey, that's me. I've got the disease. Do you think that's important, Dave? Oh, absolutely. And uh, it's important that uh, we stop here, take a quick break, and we'll be back with Dr. Don. And uh, be sure, if you don't have a pen and paper handy, get one before we come back. And if you have a question, be sure and send it to GM, that's George Mary at americaswebradio.com and uh, Dr. Don will be glad to discuss it uh, on the next show or next time we have a, a time to do it so stay tuned we'll be right back do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And you're listening to A Veteran's Place on America's Web Radio. And we we do a number of different shows for veterans. Uh, we do Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And, and it just, it it makes me sick to know that people have already forgotten. They have no clue what Desert Shield and Desert Storm were all about. And... Uh, you know, it's just, it's just sickening. And we, 
you know, if you don't know and remember history, then you're destined to have it happen again to you. And, you know, this is, this is something that we fight with and trying to get people to remember. And, you know, there are always good parts of it. And, you know, I was thinking, uh, Don, as, as you were talking earlier, that one thing that a lot of relatives don't understand are people that are around someone with PTSD. Uh, you know, it, it may be that order of burned bacon goes by and it puts you into a hell of a mood or it, it, you're ready to fight or you're ready to, you know, you're, you all of a sudden you tense up and, uh, you know, something's about to pop out. And this is something that, uh, you know, that just happens to people. And it, and it, by the way, I want to add something else. And a lot of people don't, uh, don't appreciate this, but you can have a situation as, and I'm sure you do, Don, from, from your deployments in uh, Vietnam that, yeah, as a medic, you saw things that, uh, most of us will never, ever see. And you may have a flashback or you may remember, well, I remember that kid. He couldn't have been more than 18, 19 years old. And somehow we we got him to a dust off and uh, somehow he lived. But then on the other side of the coin, you may have, well, we went into a village and even though you were a medic, you weren't supposed to treat the villagers per se, but you help somebody and the smile on that mother's face that you just helped her little girl or little boy and uh, that you have the beautiful flashbacks as well as the ugly flashbacks. Is this well, an unfair statement? You, you, yeah, you hit moral injury right on the head. You hit hit it right on the head there are things about war which is the worst thing that human humanity has been able to do to itself but in those moments there are moments of genuine love and sacrifice and sharing and you hit the nail on the head and, and think about it that you have those moral decisions to make that in a second in a split second i remember when I got back from Vietnam, I went to this college class, philosophy, and they were talking about situational ethics. And let me tell you, it's whatever it was, you went home and read this chapter, and then you came came back to class, an air-conditioned classroom, and you discussed what would be the ideal thing to do. So basically, let's say it took an hour to read the, the, the chapter, and you discussed it for an hour, two hours or some stupid situational ethics, and you go to Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, and you have to make a split-second decision if a child running towards a Humvee is an enemy agent or not. There's no chapter to read. There's no class discussion. You make the decision. You're a medic, and you were an EMT, Dave. You go to a, and I've had this happen to me. You go to a scene of an accident and there's five people injured. Which one do you go to first? How do you know? It, it, it's not a college class. It's, 
it. There's no textbook. And so this is what our first responders live with. This is what our soldiers live with. And that is the public doesn't get it. You know, I and my dad was funny. He was an accountant. And, and he loved his job. And he said, you know, if I make a mistake, I get the eraser. Well, you know what? First responders, police, they don't have erasers. We can't go back. We can't go back to situations. And just knowing you're going to work and everybody's carrying an eraser but you, I mean, tell me that's not going to have an effect on you emotionally. Huh? You know, what, what you're saying is uh, instantly caused a couple of flashbacks where you have, like you said, and, and most of the time it's... Uh, or generally speaking, it would be a, a car accident where you have, and, and it, you know, you almost, in many ways, be it a veteran, a military war veteran, or an EMT, or whatever the case might be, not only do you have to make the split decisions, I mean, within seconds, but you almost have to be a psychologist too, and and or psychiatrist. I don't know which, but psychologist probably. And I know there was a situation where we picked up a, a teenager that was, and her mother was there and screaming, "Help!" You know, whatever her name was, and uh, you know, and we were taught, and I was taught. When you've got somebody that hysterical, you got to get their attention. And I hauled off and slapped the hell out of her. But she quietened down. She wasn't screaming and crying anymore. And then you can then you can go to the physical problems of, you know, do you have pain any place? Da 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 da. You know, whatever. Right. But the mother looked at me like. What are you doing slapping my daughter? Well, she's not crying anymore, is she? And uh, she's not raising hell, and we're going to find out between here and the hospital what she needs. And, uh, you know, it just, and people don't Dave, understand. You, you hit on it. You, you hit the nail on the head again. You are making decisions on a limited amount of time that have profound effects. And... And, and the police officers, for example, and firemen. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, they go, well, being the difference between when I worked in, as a doctor in the emergency room when I was called in on cases versus being a medic, you got to be kidding. At no time did I go into the emergency room fearing for my life when I was <laughs> going to, you know, suture the wound. Never. You just say, I have a job, you walk in. Our medics, they go out under fire. To save somebody, the first thing is, if you get to your patient alive, you've got to have the courage to go get them. The firemen, police, all, you've got to have the courage to get out there. That's superhuman. And then when you get there, you've got to make decisions under fire. You know, I, I remember I was doing surgery in a hospital, and one of my compressed air tanks that I was using to you know, run my drill, the hose broke and made a loud bang. Well, the anesthesiologist 
the physician assistant anesthetist, the scrub nurse, the scrub assistant, and the two circulating nurses were were behind chairs and, <laughs> and behind the anesthesiologist at a table, and I calmly walked over and turned the gas off. But come on, that's what a medic faces, only it's not a gas hose that made a bang. People are trying to kill them yeah. in, in police. So the amount of stress that that folks with PTSD experienced was phenomenal. Most people could not even imagine. And, and I tell you, the worst the PTSD is, the more times they went out, the more deployments they had, the more separation from the family that occurred, the higher the social dysfunction. And so you've got to come back. You've got to start working on your PTSD worldview frame. You have to say, look, I'm going to get in an argument with this guy on the street, and you just you don't ever turn your back on somebody. You just back away. And you you know you're going to get in an argument with the guy at the store for you know breaking your eggs at the grocery store. You just have to you just have to uh, back off. And, and, and that training is very effective. You say, I'm going to cook off here. Uh, let's just train myself to back off. And, and that's called behavior modification. And you have to practice. It's, you know, I took my last comment would be I took martial arts. And the first thing when you get some guy that's coming, just starting to be a goof, you turn sideways to him. And, and my instructor said, you bring your hand to your, your face like, stroking your beard like you're really thinking what he's saying but what you've done you've you've removed you've started to act on the threat situation you've turned sideways he no longer has a target so he's automatically going to try and hit your head well you're you can if block you anything he swings about- because you're sideways and your hands already at your face and so ptsd and, and ineffective responses have to be trained that way if you detect a threat Go into, in your mind, turning sideways, then work on that threat. So you can do it with psychological, you know, what we'll call it algorithms that you, you kind of practice. Go, okay, in this situation, this is what I'm going to do. You see what I mean, Dave? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, it's uh, it's something that... I hope that more and more people will listen to this show and tell their friends about it. And, uh, you know, the, the wives and the husbands and, uh, relatives that, uh, know folks that have returned from combat or from, you know, just their jobs. Uh, and, you know, it's so important to know and understand as opposed to just, you know, a lot of people, oh, yeah, I know about PTSD, but they don't. And um, it's it's a whole different world inside that that head of somebody that's suffering from PTSD. And uh, you don't know when the bugle's going to blow, you know? And, exactly. Um, so it's... It's, we encourage people, again, I want anybody that has a question for Don, Dr. Don, uh, more than welcome to, uh, send it to GM at America's Web Radio and we will pass it on to 
Don, and he can address the subject, or we can talk about it. He and I can talk about it. Uh, but please take note and tell your friends. Share the word because it's it's we're fixing. That's a Texas term, fixing. Uh, we're about to have an outbreak of PTSD that I don't think the doctors or anybody's ready for. And that's going to be caused by the situation of COVID and the effects of it. And we're just now coming out of it and, and going into it. And this is going to be something that, uh, it's going to, it's going to affect the families that, you know, I have a, a fifth grader, but the fifth grader is actually working on a third grade level. Or they have a ninth grader and the ninth grader is working on a, on a fifth grade level. All because of COVID. And this, and it, it's, it's going to take quick response, quick action. And uh, the other thing that, you know, you were talking about, I always sit where my back is not to the door. I always sit where I can see the door. But the other thing that uh, I think anybody that has experienced this, I know how I go into a restaurant or church or any situation, is before I sit down, one, I scope everybody out, and two, I look for my options. And in the and while anything's going on, I'll review my options, and I think I think most people that have, are veterans would say they do the same thing. You always, if I have to, do I fight or flight? And if I if I'm going to run, where do I run to? Which is the closest door? What kind? Is it open or is it locked? And uh, you know so. Uh, you can become well, Dave, very you know, actually it, in summary that's exactly what I've been talking about it's just when you feel stress coming on it, and, and you, you in a physical situation you walk in you know restaurant church wherever theater you're, you're scoping it out well what you need to do now and this is a great summary statement emotionally you start scoping the situation out and you go hey this is how I might react. Or you're getting some guy that's kind of being a goofball. You say, hey, I'm just not going to talk to him. Or I'm going to just kind of slide away. And that's the exact same thing. And, and to just be a final point for me, treat that same physical geography awareness as an emotional awareness with your family. Like, hey, you know, I just feel this is going to be a stressful situation in this conversation I'm going to divert it, and if I can't divert it, I'm just going to kind of move physically. And so you take that same thing into your emotional uh, instability or inflexibility, and you apply that same thing just like you would when you go into a theater. Don, I want to thank you for this week, and we'll be back next week on A Veteran's Place, and uh, we'll be talking more about PTSD and different aspects of it. And, Don, as always, you've made the show, and I do appreciate it. It's great. All right. Thank you again. Bye, Dave. Talk to you. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station.
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.